this podcast was recorded at State Library Victoria on Aboriginal land, the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations. He also discusses events that occurred on the lands of the Wajuk Nunya and Jajarurong peoples. We pay our respects to their elders past and present. Christina, welcome back to In Those Days. Thanks, Penny. Yep, we're going to talk about yesterday's newspapers today. Yes. Um, And one of the fun things that I like to do in Trove is when there's like a current event happening, I like to look up past events that Mm -hmm. have happened and like compare and contrast. So yesterday we had King Charles III's coronation. Yes, we did. Did you watch it, Christina? Look, I did until I got quite tired, but I pushed through until the crown was on his head and then I had had enough. And you're like, oh, okay, it's done. Yeah. I Um, just liked watching the horses on the way. There's not going to be a revolution today. No. Okay, switch off. I didn't see Camilla get her crown, but I'm sure it was similar. Followed through. So I had a look in trove for some um, information on past coronations. That is a massive topic. Too big. Okay. Narrowed it down. I was quite inspired by Charles and Camilla's quiche. I mean... There's nothing more inspirational than a quiche. Exactly. So I looked up coronation recipes from the past. Now, coronation chicken, Oh, famously, do you know what it is? No. It's like curry sauce on chicken. It's a, Why any, is everything so disappointing for mm. this? It's Isn't it a big day in your life? Don't you aim high? Mm, Not, mm. I'll have a sandwich. <laughs> Some people who go out for lunch and order soup. Don't bother. Oh, just, absolutely. Just no. That's not an ordering out meal. That's a sad Sunday night meal at home. <laughs> Mixing some um, King's curry paste yeah. with some mayonnaise. Um, anyway, so the the coronation chicken, is called. it comes from Queen Elizabeth II's coronation. However, it was named well after the coronation mm-hmm. at the time. It was just called... Chicken surprise. <laughs> it was called Chicken Queen, Queen Chicken Elizabeth. Right. It was. It had a French name. I can't say. Yeah. There's a lot of articles though in the paper, not necessarily official coronation recipes, but saying to people, "This is what you could have for your coronation mm. party." Did you have a coronation party or attend a coronation party yesterday, Christina? No, no. I had a croissant yes. to celebrate uh, the guillotine. Anyway. <laughs> I did think about scones a lot yesterday. Yeah. I didn't eat one, but I did think about them and I guess that moment passed. But <laughs> I did think about it at the time. But had we been more organised, yes. we could have looked up and planned a coronation oh, we menu. could have had Union Jacks galore. Yeah, exactly. And there's some really good ones. I'm not going to read out this one, but there is a recipe that a reader sent in. This was for the coronation of King George in 1937. And it was coronation pigeon pie. Ew, again. And it's what it is, Disgusting. a bed of steak with three pigeons on top. Oh, have they taken the feathers off or yes. just crisped It them? says you have to clean and prepare three young pigeons. Mm. How do you know how old a pigeon is? <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah, I don't know. You look at a whole flock and you're like, there's the young one. That one's sprightly. Yeah. That one seems a bit woke. Um, and I was like, oh, well, it was the depression maybe. And then I realised it's on a bed of steaks. They've got six hard-boiled eggs. Don't like this mixing of proteins. I find it 
I, I I know I don't eat meat, but even if I did, I think you I wouldn't f- put a pigeon on a bit of steak. No, what yeah. this steak needs is a pigeon on top. But in a slightly more friendly one, we've got an article that was uh, three coronation cake recipes. I feel like the sweets is where it's at mm. for coronations. And this one was published in the Australasian on the 15th of May, 1937. In the British Isles, they are serving special coronation cakes. Why not here? These three are suggestions for your coronation cakes. George and Elizabeth cake, a very rich cake. <laughs> is that it? Yeah. No, no, no. We're going to get to it. <laughs> oh, okay. And it's a fruit cake, so it's a very wow. a very rich fruit cake, which, mm. I mean, it's for it's George. It's a bit, bit of a metaphor. Yeah. It's for George and Elizabeth, but it could be any of them. Yeah. <laughs> and it says half the mixture will make a fair-sized cake. It's got, you know, the flour, the butter, the sugar, the citron, the currants, and it's got 18 eggs. Right. And it says warm the butter, beat it to a cream, break in the eggs by degrees. That should take several hours. Yes. With the fruit and sugar, add the flour last, keep on beating and do not discontinue. Do not. Till you are satisfied that the mixture is thoroughly mixed. Right. Bake. About three hours. God, that's a long bake. Repent at leisure. Um, <laughs> and so there you go. I know it's too late, but let's face it, Charles, it's not going to last that long. No. So we've got to start planning for the next one. Yeah. Look, I'm going to plan ahead and I will bake a scone next time, God damn it. Hello, our guest here today is a returning guest. This is the third time he's come back to the podcast. It's my dad, Peter Tangy. Thank you very much, Ben. Thank you for Christina for putting up with me again. <laughs> third time lucky. <laughs> so, last time Dad was here, we talked about Pen Hall, who was a very nice lady who was a friend of the family and lived in Newstead. And, and you're named after yes. her. Yes. Yes. That was the big reveal at the end. Yeah. So that was episode five, if you want to go back and listen to that. But when we were talking about Penn Hall, we were also talking about her partner, Chorkles Nellie Louisa Kasner Moss. And she lived in Newstead with Penn Hall for a long time. And Dad, you you got to know them when you went over to do odd jobs every Saturday when you were growing up. Brother Bill used to do odd jobs on a Saturday morning for them and then he got too old for that. We were at church one day and I said to Dad, can I go and ask Miss Moss if I can have a job? And I was about 12 at the time. He said, oh, yeah, go and ask her. And, of course, I was on the payroll after that. Oh, that's fantastic. What was um, Chalkles like when you knew her dad? Look, she... She was a a person who dressed like a man, swore like a man, behaved like a man, but who was very concerned about all aspects of society. Mm -hmm. They'd buy every paper that existed. She was always very, very nice to me, but there was one rule one. Rule one is you did it exactly the way Miss Moss wanted it done. Whatever job it was... Uh, I remember one was there was a big drain with cooch grass in it that ran out into a yard paddock, and that cooch grass had to be cut with a uh, a knife that was about two inches long. <laughs> so it took you all day. Yeah, well, it might have taken me three weeks. <laughs> Could have got a shovel and done it in a quarter of an hour. 
<laughs> and would have started growing back by the time you finished it. <laughs> yes, it did. And I think it might have been a way to keep keep me employed too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and how much do you know about her early life? Did she ever talk to you about where she grew up and things? No, she certainly didn't speak about that to me. I got little snippets of information from Dad, but I really didn't know. And at that age, I didn't care. Yeah. I was too wrapped up about myself. Yeah, fair enough. You don't really think of... Yeah, I have to say I never um, asked any questions about what Penhall did when she was coming up when I, <laughs> I knew her when was, I was 10. There was one di- disappointing thing about Chalkles was that she wasn't interested in me playing football. She oh. never even asked about the football. That's very disappointing. <laughs> did she ever ask you about tennis? No, not, to, not that I recall. Interesting. Okay. Chalkle's early life, I've actually managed to find out a few things about her growing up. Her father was Matthew Kasnamos, and he seems to have been quite a, had quite a big personality and he was fairly well liked. And he grew up in Melbourne and then he studied medicine at Melbourne University, became a doctor. He was very good at rowing and he represented Victoria and Western Australia in the rowing. So quite sporty. Chalkle's sporty? No, no, <laughs> definitely not. Um, <coughs> she might have got more of the academic side. I did did recall that her, her dad was a doctor. Yeah, but uh, that that's about all I ever knew of him. Right. So she never didn't mention there were no photos of him or anything around. No. no. Okay. Any photos of her family at all? No. And it's interesting that you said that you saw Chelkles at church, because her father was Jewish, and his father was Reuben Moss. And if you remember back to the Penn Hall episode, there was that um, portrait of Reuben Moss yes. that was donated to the Jewish Museum. Um, he and Reuben Moss was an optician and he had a shop in Melbourne that was called Kasna Moss. They meant like binoculars and all kinds of things. Oh, right. Mm. But he died in 1903 and then Matthew Kasna moved to Perth for the first time. And there was a bit of controversy because then he, I think he got sacked from the hospital where he was working, but it was like a bit controversial about he was defending himself in the papers and the papers and the hospital was saying he knows why he was sacked. And he (laughs) he kept saying, I don't know why I was sacked. (laughs) Tell the media. (laughs) So after he got sacked from Perth, he moved back to Melbourne. And then I found this article from the Argus on the 24th of February, 1909. Moss Cox. On the 28th of December, at the office of the Registrar, South Yarra, Matthew Kasner Moss, son of the late Reuben Moss of St Kilda, to Ada Nelly, eldest son of Arthur John. So that's his wedding notice where he married Ada Nelly Cox. And it's in a registry office. So it's not a religious ceremony. Mm-hmm. Right. I really don't know if... Either he kept practicing his religion or not. Mm. Uh, did you hear that her fa- that Chalkle's family had Jewish background? No, it wasn't discussed. All, all I know was that she converted to Catholicism. Mm. Now I didn't know what from. But I think probably she wasn't brought up Jewish. Matthew Kasnamos, when he was in Melbourne, he was often reported about in the, you know, the Jewish Melbourne papers, and mm. then once he goes to Perth, nothing. But people did still sometimes refer to him as having co-religionists. They would, they'd say that there were two co-religionists, meaning that they were two Jewish people. 
Wow. Okay. I thought that meant that you were following two faiths simultaneously. Right. Yeah, that's what it sounds. Yeah. Yeah. So was Chalkles very religious when you knew her? She went to Mass every Sunday. Penn Hall didn't go with it. It was only Chalkles who was a, a Catholic. Apart from that, I don't know how religious she was. Yeah. It's I, and put it this way, I never saw her reciting the Hail Mary. <laughs> Just under her breath. Mm. Oh, it's really hard to know, isn't it? Because obviously her, like, the fact that she was living with a woman and dressing as a man doesn't, in my head, really uh, match with the Catholic Church and how strict they are on uh, hierarchies and men doing mm. certain roles, particularly in the 50s and 60s. And also women living together as partners, not, not a little bit frowned upon. Sounds um, like a lot of internal conflict for chocolates. <laughs> <laughs> well... See, Penn was always at home. So the parish priest didn't see Penn. Yeah, I guess that's right. So it wasn't really a conflict. And Chalkles had such a strong will Mm. and a strong uh, belief in her own capabilities and what she believed in that uh, bugger him. I'll do what I want to do. Yeah, and who's going to tell her to leave? Well, that's right. And if she had, because she was, you know, quite good friends with other people in the community... She was always uh, recognised as different, eccentric, yes, but respected because it was mostly a farming community and she was able to assist people with their sick animals. Yes. And if the cow was crook or had trouble calving, people would ring up chalkles. Pan would answer the phone. (laughs) Secretary. And and, uh, chalkles would yell out, who in the bloody hell is that, Pen? Oh, it's Bill Butler. He's got a cow down with milk feed or something. <laughs> Tell him I'll be there in half an hour. <laughs> yeah, so I guess that being that part of that community like that, people needed her and she sort of found a way to fit in. Was she actually a vet or she just well, we'll kind gave of, it a go? We'll kind of get to that. <laughs> Going through her education, it is a little bit confusing. I would mm. say that she's not formally qualified as a vet. Mm. A bit like myself. <laughs> <laughs> but you have a crack, I think. Yeah, I give it a go. The willingness to try that yeah. counts with vet. Or Google furiously. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can remember one of uh, Chalkle's remedies, you know. Oh, yeah. Oh. It'll have to be shot. It'll have to be shot. Oh. Well, that's not really solution-focused, is it? <laughs> she didn't like animal suffering. No. No, oh, really? Yeah. I'll go back in time now. We're going back to the 30th of October, 1909, in the Argus again. There's a notice that says Moss on the 17th of October at Carmona, the Avenue, Windsor, to Dr and Mrs M. Kasner Moss, a daughter. And that's Chalkles. This is when Chalkles was born. Yeah. Yeah. And is she actually born as Chalkles? This, this is what I don't understand. Thank you, Christina. <laughs> this is exactly what I wanted to address. I know that when she, by the time she was six, she was already called Chalkles. And Dad, do you have any idea why she was called Chalkles? I have never heard of that as a, a, a Christian name before. No. I looked it up. I, I thought, oh, you never know. Maybe it's it's got some origin in her Jewish background or something, but I could not. 
I reckon she probably just had a lovely laugh as a baby. Mm. Yeah. Yes, it could have been too. Not a chuckle, a chuckle. A chuckle. Yeah. I don't know. But it certainly really became her name, her school results, her university results. Every time in the paper, she's always CMOS. She's got all those different names. So variations yeah. of her middle names and surnames would be used, but her first name was always started with a C and was chuckle. Wow. When we did the Penn Hall episode... I posted on the Newstead community Facebook page mm-hmm. and someone in there said, oh, Chalkles once told me how she got her name. Oh. And I said, oh, how interesting. Um, please do tell me. And the person said, it's a long story. Oh. And then refused to elaborate. So uh, I don't... I, I reckon they're fibbing. <laughs> yeah. That's right up there with, I'm in hospital. Oh, no. And then people yeah. say, what's wrong? And no response. <laughs> or... She's planning her own um, deep dive podcast. I think she is. And at the end, she's going to reveal yeah. the story. It could be. So keep an eye out for that one. <laughs> the chocolates, it's in her nature, you know. She might have named, it, named herself that. Possible. She, she might have liked her first name, whether yeah. it's Nelly. Yeah. And then said, no, I'm going to be called this and that's that. Mm. That actually, I like, like it that or theory. lump it. I, yeah. re- I do really like that theory. That sounds about right. The family moved to Echuca where her dad was like a, a country doctor mm-hmm. and there's quite a few articles from that time about patients that he was treating because just no one cared about privacy. No. <laughs> Everyone loves a medical yeah, drama. Exactly. And it, look, he, it was gross and there were like cow horns stabbing people in the face, yes. uh, circular sores chopping off arms, and someone's foot that got burned and looked like a boiled ham. Oh, so he was pretty busy. He's a busy, busy man. But it's hard to tell. But from what I found, I reckon he was a very involved father, quite a creative man. And I found in the National Library of Australia, they have an unpublished manuscript that he wrote, which is called Chalkle's Book of Rhymes. Fascinating. He wrote this in 1915 mm. and it's a handwritten... So she's six then. Yeah. And so that's how I know she was called Chalkle's mm. when she was six. He's done illustrations as well. And so I ordered it from the library and I was like, oh, I'm not sure if this can be worth it. And it's so good. I was so happy with it. <laughs> he, the start of it is like these little rhymes and this is one of them. Seesaw, surgery door, McWilliams shall have a new needle. Chalkle shall watch while he yells out in scotch and kicks up his legs like a beetle. <laughs> <laughs> And there's a picture of the doctor giving the... That's a very large needle. And it looks like an umbrella. Yeah, and, it does. And, and Dad's done the illustrations. Yeah, he's done the whole thing. And I thought, you know, it was going to be some really old, scrawly handwriting yeah. and whatever, mm. but it's all really neatly written calligraphy. Is it, is it copyright? No, because he died in 1947 and it's 70 years after you die. Things go out of... Could mm. I be your manager? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I reckon some of it's... And we'll cut Christina in too. Yeah, yeah, just a third. (laughs) And then the other reason why I think he probably wasn't very religious is that he wrote this rhyme, Here come the wowsers to sit in their pewsers and here comes old whiskers to bite off their shoeses. (laughs) (laughs) And that's their dog. They had a dog Hmm. called Whiskers and he's drawn people going off to church. Look at a little bit Dr Seuss, those drawings. And he calls them wowzers, so I think he probably wasn't to church. What's your definition of a wowzer, the younger generation? Isn't it someone who's kind of 
always going on and pretending to be virtuous and lecturing other people and being boring? Yes, I, I put that into context too. Like, it's basically anybody who doesn't like other people having fun. Yes. <laughs> no gambling, no <clears throat> drinking, yeah. no partying. None of the good stuff. So that's Matthew. I reckon Matthew was probably and quite fun. Traditionally, the Methodist people were called wowsers. They very much. Oh, that's right. They didn't those things. dance or sing or do. So it might have been very. Well, they sung. Oh yes, but tedious songs. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> might have been a very specific <laughs> sledge. So then, after the little rhymes, there's also longer stories that he wrote. There's one. That's oh, I think it's very funny, and it's about chorkles and a wicked rhinoceros who's always trying to eat chorkles. This is a section where the wicked rhinoceros has kidnapped chorkles and taken her back to his house. They're back at the rhinoceros's house. <laughs> his house was made of fur and had a merry-go-round on top. The wicked rhinoceros used to catch people and put them up on the merry-go-round, and at night time they would go to sleep and fall off like ripe fruit and the rhinoceros would pick them up, all squashed, and cook them next morning and, Ew. and eat them. Oh, well, this is wonderful. <laughs> and he put little chorkles up on the merry-go-round and went inside his house, and there was his little baby rhinoceros. And the baby rhinoceros said, What did you bring me home from my New Year's dinner? And the big rhinoceros said, I've brought home... Dr. Moss's chorkles for your New Year's dinner. <laughs> and all the time there was poor chorkles on the merry-go-round on the roof, holding on and going round so fast that she couldn't get off. But all of a sudden she heard feet going pitter-patter over the grass and leaves and she looked down into the rhinoceros's garden to see who it was and there was Etty. Not sure who Etty was. It might have been their maid or their... Um, or it could have even been her sister Dorothy, I'm not sure. And Chorkles called out to Etty to climb up and take her away, and Etty said she would. But there was old Mr Trebilco on the merry-go-round as well. The rhinoceros had caught him a long time ago, but he wouldn't go to sleep or fall off in the night. <laughs> he just sat there and got tougher and stringier every day. And the rhino rhinoceros said perhaps he would get tenderer in time, but he didn't. And the little rhinoceros used to play its mouth organ to him to soften him, but he wouldn't. Ew. <laughs> this is pretty great, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's very dark. It, it, it's very dark. And, I mean, Chalkles always gets away in the end, but this wicked rhinoceros. And Mr Trebilco was the librarian in a chuka. <laughs> and so I think the story's also just filled with people that they didn't really like or that they laughed at or something. I think McWilliams, the guy who got the needle, I suspect he would come in for a needle and make and a cause the scene. Yeah. These stories were like obviously a lot of work and he was yep. a busy man. It's his side hustle. Yeah, and I assume he was reading them to her in the night. And so to me it just seems like he was probably very involved yep. in the kids. Although I will say this. There's more than one child. Yeah, there's Dorothy as well. Ooh. She's not really in the books. That's, That's uncomfortable. There's a bit of favouritism yeah, going I, there's on there. no Dorothy Book of Rhymes. Right. Yeah. Not The Wizard of Oz. There's no – well, I don't think he wrote that. <laughs> it's a bit strange to have a whole host of books about one of your children and not the other. We don't know if they just maybe didn't get collected by the library. Maybe it was damaged or wasn't kept or something. 
Perhaps yeah. Dorothy didn't really want to listen to stories about being eaten. Yeah, you know, <laughs> that's the other thing. Maybe Dorothy had a more, a more selective nature. Yeah. Does Chalkle's mother appear in the rhymes? Uh, yes. There's one, this one's about Chalkle's going missing. Sing a song of Chalkle's, nowhere to be found, four and twenty pussycats searching all around. When they couldn't find her, the cats began to meow. Dr Moss's Chalkle's lost, won't there be a row? Mummy in the bedroom, very nearly dying. <laughs> Daddy in the surgery, roaring like a lion. This is good stuff. Yeah. And he's got like a picture of himself with little lines going, me child, me baby infant, me little bar lamb, my little chocolate. Oh, dear. So yep. I don't know whether this is based on an incident where chocolates are actually away. quite eerie drawings, yeah, aren't they? they got big bulgy eyes. creepy. Yeah. I like the cats, but the but this is humans like look scary. Well within, you know, the tradition of dark children's stories. Oh, I like that. What is it, Strudel Petter or whatever? Yeah, yeah, that Ooh, one. That was petrifying. Yeah, Does but it really inspired a lot of writers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And was the cartoon stuff of the drawings is that, was that common in those days? Or? Well, I don't, I don't really know. You'd have to talk to someone who's like a. It's a bit Roald Dahl esque as well. Well, it is, and yeah, and it makes me think that he was really involved with her and like a really caring father. But then there is also the A. A. Milne example. You know how he wrote Winnie the Pooh about Christopher Robin? It was about mm. his son, Christopher Robin. And then Christopher Robin, when he grew up, was like, my dad was not nice to me. Like Enid, <laughs> Enid Blyton hated children. Yeah. And didn't spend any time with their own. But yeah, but you'd think... Captured it, the imaginations of yeah, generations. You kind of imagine it. Like, you know, you reading, making up fox stories to read to, our, to tell our kids and then writing them down, which is lovely. So I just imagine that it's the same for Chalkles and her mm. dad, mm. that it was this nice thing that they did together. Like it, it's nice to think that, you know, at, at 8 o'clock at night when it's time for Chalkles to go to bed, Dad's come home and they've got the kerosene lamp going and in the dark he's reading these quite scary... <laughs> petrifying <laughs> stories. And then and you go to sleep, sleep well. Yeah. And don't tell me you've had any nightmares. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Call Letty yes. <laughs> if you have any troubles. So, and at some point the family moved back to Perth. So I'm not sure exactly when, but it was in about 1921. And he, Matthew Kasnamos did much better in Perth the second time around and he became a very prominent doctor. He was president of the British Medical Association and he specialised in anaesthetics, I think, and invented some of his own devices. And one of his mm. anaesthetic devices is in the Western Australian Museum. And he also worked a lot at the, the Claremont Hospital for the Insane. Excellent. You probably wouldn't call it that now. And, you know, post-World War One, they were getting a lot of work. Yeah, a lot of insanity. But would then perhaps, would that have been voluntary too? Uh, he was on the board of visitors and he, oh, some of it might have some been. Some of them might have been okay until they read the Chalkle <laughs> stories and then, then took a bit of a turn for the yeah. worst. <laughs> Imagine him coming around. Creating work for what himself. What a story for you. Yeah. This is merry-go-round. Yeah, like and a there's freak. a rhino with a hairy house. <laughs> it's made this, of fur. This insane stuff yeah. is um, it's, it's, it's quite arguable, really. There was a chap who used to live in Newstead who had uh, various stints inside uh, institutions. Yeah. 
and he'd go up to people in Newstead and he'd stare at them and look them in the face mm. and say, are you sane? Mm, it's a good question. And oh. then... Depends on the day. You, oh. you know, someone comes up to you and say, yeah, yes. Uh. Well, where's your piece of paper? I've got a piece of paper to prove it. <laughs> Well, I'll have to invest in one of those. <laughs> That's a good point. You've got to have your piece of paper. Yeah, yeah and there was um, one article that I found that was a bit sad that Dr Kasner Moss was saying that Claremont needed more funds and they couldn't have charity drives like the other hospitals because people were so ashamed of mental illness that they wouldn't want to be associated and they wouldn't want to donate. Mm. This is one stat that I think really demonstrates that. So the Claremont Hospital averaged less than one visitor per 10 patients each week. Oh. It's only one in 10 patients is getting a visitor. Mm-hmm. Whereas the Perth Hospital, patients averaged five visitors for every patient yeah. each week. I think too, you're giving dates there, but raising funds for the hospital, it would be in the depression too. Yes, Absolutely. Mm. So pretty tough. Yeah, not a lot of money around, but an awful lot of people with mental health issues, particularly after, you know... Well, you'd think, you know, 12 years Mm. after the First World War. Absolutely. uh, A lot of things have kind of come out that time. It's kicking in. So Chalkle's mother, so her dad was in the paper a lot, sometimes through his medical stuff, also just going to the races and stuff like that. Her mother, Ada Nelly Kasnamos, She's in the papers a lot, but it's very difficult to get any impression of her because mm-hmm. it's just her name, going to bridge parties, going to the races, what she wore, that sort of thing. I can tell you that she did go through a phase where she wore a lot of green. Wow. And then she went through a phase where she wore a lot of blue. <laughs> Same colour area, yeah. really. Yeah. That's about all I know about her. Okay. Um, well, you're wearing all green today, Penny. Is that a homage? Or? Uh, <laughs> I hadn't thought about it like that. It's, it's a homage to my friend Nerida because Nerida often wears colours all the one time. Okay. And she says she gets a lot of compliments for it because she reckons if you wear all the one colour, you look like you've made an effort. <laughs> That's a solid theory. Yeah. <laughs> she does have very nice clothes as well. So yeah, I Good job, Nerida. So Chalkles and her academic career. She went to school in Perth and she did quite well. In 1926, she got a distinction in her French exams. And, Dad, I think you mentioned that Chalkles gave Arnie Burt French lessons. Is that right? Yes. My sister Bernadette used to go up to uh, Bean and Chalkles and Chalkles would give uh, Bernadette French lessons. And after year 10, Bernadette shifted down to Melbourne Mm. to live with my grandparents and, of course, she studied French and that was because of the grounding that Chalkles had given her. Oh, did you learn French? I thought you did. We, oui. <laughs> yes, and my dad was a French teacher as well for a very long time, so there wasn't a lot of choice or option. Um, <laughs> did he help you? Well, this is the thing. Dad did help me, but it always ended poorly. So, <laughs> um, Dad had actually written a series of French textbooks that well, you don't want to listen to him. He sounds that I like felt were <laughs> that I felt were outdated by the time I needed to have that information. Um, even though obviously the language is exactly the same. Is the French language notorious for changing yes, mind, isn't it? Yeah. Yes, it's constantly evolving. So <laughs> it, it never ended very well when Dad tried to help with my French. So when she finished um, high school, she went on to the University of Western Australia and she studied 
uh, subjects. She did arts and so she studied English, logic and philosophy and biology as well. Gosh, she does sound like me, Penny. I know it's not all about me, but this there's Why a not? lot of there's a Why lot not? of a lot of similarities going on here. Yeah. Then in nineteen twenty nine we've got in Perth Truth this little note. Miss Chalkles Moss, elder daughter of Dr. and Mrs. M. K. Moss of Hay Street West, who has passed her second year in the Faculty of Arts at the recent university examinations, will leave for the Melbourne University in February. And this is the article that has a photo of Chalkles that I showed you last time, the one where she's wearing a dress. Mm. There she is. So at this stage, she she still she looks like a fairly conventional young lady of the time and she stayed at Janet Clark Hall and this was the same her dad also studied at Melbourne University mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so while she was at university her mother used to go and visit her sometimes and then, from Perth yeah from Perth that's a commitment so, she catch a boat over or? yeah wow. I think they probably did catch they, they and then Chalkles will come back just for the summer holidays and, and I did find one article where they mentioned that she was studying medicine but I don't think she was. I think it was arts because then when she graduated, um, it said that she was studying arts. Now, I think Chalkles did do a bit of writing as well when she was at university. I found this piece that was published on the 17th of January, 1931, and it's quite long. I won't read the whole thing, but it's called Monday-ishness. Monday-ishness. So she's made up her own word, mm. <laughs> which is a good start. There was a little picture of like a heart rate trace, you know, that mm-hmm. you see the up and down. And it's by C. Kasnamos. At the head of this article is a pulse tracing, i.e. a graphic representation of the rise and fall of the pulse, ergo the work of the heart. The upward sweep corresponds to the cardiac systole or contraction, the lower plane to the diastole or relaxation. The whole graph is dominated by the upward sweep. In like manner is the whole week overshadowed by Monday. It is this... Sudden transition from the quiet idleness of Sunday to the towering activity peak of Monday. Wow. Which sharply wrenches and jars the brain of man and beast. Is she okay? (laughs) (laughs) There is a mutinous gleam in the tired eye of every newly harnessed horse, a faint longing to kick over the traces or clamp the rein firmly under the matted tail and bolt away from the city, out of Monday, back to Sunday. (laughs) Whoa. And she carries on like that for Love quite some a while. Metaphor laden writing. <laughs> so it seems like she did enjoy writing. It also it seems like she kind of she's interested in science. She's interested mm. in medical background things. That like she's using that metaphors. Absolutely. So even though she was studying arts, it feels like she was. There was a pull. She was kind of getting into other things more broadly, and maybe maybe she would have done science if she had of. Maybe it was less acceptable to do science for a Maybe she was woman. just sitting in the back of vet science lectures, just hiding. Yeah. <laughs> absorbing the information. Tennis. Chalkles played a bit of tennis. The problem is, like, you're looking into the archives at these articles and you're getting, like, little snapshots of people, I think, mm. and you don't want to draw too many conclusions. But I think I am prepared to call it how I see it and say that Chuckles was really bad at tennis. <laughs> oh, look, when I, when I knew her, I thought she'd be all right. Wow. She was very good at giving people she didn't like a seat. <laughs> <laughs> nice. 
I'm just going to give you some scores. This is from the 24th of June, 1924. Jean Lawton and Barbara Murray beat Rita McGibbon and Chalkles Moss 6161. Ooh, embarrassing. Now, Rita McGibbon is actually a family friend who was mentioned in one of the Chalkles Book of Rhyme stories. Is she? Now, is she on the merry-go-round? Uh, no. Yes, that's a very good point. <laughs> no. Beat, beat him at tennis. Off yeah, she goes. Off she goes <laughs> to wait it out and get tough. <laughs> so, and here's another one from the 26th of April, 1926. Nancy Davies beat Chalkles Moss, six love, six love. Oh, Chalkles. Oh and from the same tournament, Muriel Broom and Erica Hall beat Chalkles Moss and Dorothy Parr, six one, six one. Oh, dear. So you played a bit of tennis, Dad? Yes, I did, yes. In Newstead there was only, there was tennis and there was football. Mm. They didn't even have a cricket club. Oh, I didn't know and, that. Uh, and the girls, they only had tennis. They didn't mm. have anything to play in the wintertime. That's but, when they formed gangs and roamed yeah. around. <laughs> I think it, it was very good, the tennis, because it taught us... Uh, pimply-faced, obnoxious boys that we had to be nice to the girls mm. so that they'd paid mixed doubles with us. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> you can't. It's a life lesson. Be nasty to them. Yeah. You had a bit of success with that. Oh. Not with the girls, obviously, but with the <laughs> no, tennis. No. Didn't you and Naomi still win yes. mixed doubles? I think uh, Naomi and I played together and there was other people I played with too. But we won in the Castlemaine Lawn District Tennis Association, but we played on hard courts. We won the juniors, then we won the C grade, and then we won the B grade all in a row. Wow. That is amazing. You were on a bit of a roll. We thought we were pretty crash on. Yeah. Until we started to play some of the people a lot better than us. In A grade. (laughs) You went up to A grade. (laughs) We went to A reserve, and I think we've made the finals, but that was it, and then I think... That was when I went to Melbourne, so Mm. that was enough tennis. (laughs) Did you play tennis, Christina? I did a little bit. Um, I used to have to go to school early a couple of mornings a week because I had tennis lessons. And how how were you at it? I don't know. Better than Chalkles? Somewhere between Chalkles and Dad? I think I was amazing. (laughs) And I was just really disappointed because the guy who ran the classes – selected your tennis racket for you and then your parents bought it and mine was grey and everyone else had really fun colours and mine was Ah. just really dull and I kicked up a bit of a stink about it and mum's like, no, he's selected that. That's the (laughs) one you're having. Aluminium frame? Yeah, and the only way I could jazz it up, you could buy like almost like a bandage wrap and change the colour of the handle. So I had a bright green handle. Uh, What did you play with, Dad? You would have just had had some bits of string wrapped around her. Oh, early days it was a bit like that. But Dunlop Max Pie. They are a wooden wooden framed racket with cat gut. Oh, genuine. uh, Mm. They were a pretty good racket for the time. There are other... I thought that was a myth, the cat gut. Oh, no, no, no. No. Well, that's what we called it anyway. Yeah. No. Was it actually made from cat's guts? Oh, I think originally it might have been. (laughs) And (laughs) you know how you you might have the nylon strings or whatever Mm. they are today, they either break or they don't break. The cat gut strings, like a rope in a sense, you could peel, when the strings were starting to go, Mm. you could peel strips off tiny... Uh, mm. Bits of string 
often. Yeah. That sounds like a bit of and fun. Could, I'd love that. You yeah. couldn't get a, your racket wet because that would uh, the cat gut would start to go off. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> get the cat gut inside. <laughs> when your cat's, get a little umbrella for your cat. Yeah. When your cat's guts go off, you're in trouble. <laughs> Put it outside. Exactly. So, Chalkles, apart from playing tennis, she was part of the social scene in Perth and she went to events with other family members. And I remember you saying, Dad, that when Chalkles, she said that when she wore her Deb dress, she never felt more naked in her life. Mm. She told that story to my father who relayed it to me. Mm. So I reckon, you know, she probably felt a bit uncomfortable at some of these events. But she did go and I have this description of her from the Daily News, 27th of January, 1930. Miss Seamoss, lemon seal and rose floral crepe de chine with shady straw hat of seal blue. And then there's this one from the Perth Daily News in 1931 when she was back in town for the summer holidays. Miss Chalkles Moss was distinctive in a gown of Blake crepe de chine with cape finish in deep V of white crepe de chine and similar finish at wrists, topped by a charming hat in black belly bundle. <laughs> I don't know what most of those words mean. That just made me think of a Busby. <coughs> Maybe because uh, I watched the coronation last night. I don't know. <laughs> but I will say um, I think I have a suspicion that the word distinctive <laughs> was what the hell is well, that? Well, code for she looked a bit weird. Mm. Eccentric. And she also had to go to bridge parties sometimes. So this was reported in Perth Daily News on the 28th of February 1930. Miss Kasner Moss entertained a number of friends at an enjoyable bridge party at her mother's home in Hay Street on Thursday evening. Mrs Moss received the guests in a graceful frock of black georgette. (laughs) Miss Moss wore mauve crepe de chine allied with patterned ring velvet. And Miss Dorothy Moss, which is her sister, chose powder blue silk lace. The room in which bridge was played was decorated with bowls of beautifully shaded roses. So did Chalkles play cards when you knew her, Dad? No, not that I went No. I feel like she would have been being forced to go to these events, to be honest. Sound a bit tedious. Well, my mother, way back in the early mm. days, was having bridge parties, oh, playing bridge. She was so at bridge almost every week. It's just... Like uh, in a in a family, if, if that's what a family does, the kids want to learn how to do it. Mm. Yeah, like, and uh, but I think it was the thing that it had to be her party as well, not just her mum's. I don't know. But this is a photo that someone in Newstead who lives in the house that Chalkles Moss and Penn Hall lived in. Oh wow! And I um, visited them, and they showed me a photo of Chalkles when she was. A fairly young lady. It's oh, that's good. She's wearing job pants <clears throat> and a shirt and she's next to a horse. I'm into it. And I'm suspecting that she was, was feeling a lot more comfortable in that. Yes. In that get yeah, up. That, that is much more like a photo that I would recall. Mm. Yeah. Chalkles. Yeah. Rather than in the crepe de chine. <laughs> Whatever that should mm. be. Sounds like it'd crease. <laughs> <laughs> so we're now getting into an exciting part of the story. Because um, after uni, the next time Chalkles is in the paper is on the 20th of September 1932 in the Perth Daily News. And there's this little snippet. Mrs K.A. Hall, 
of Mount Street has taken a cottage at Rolleystone for several weeks and is accompanied by Miss Kasna Moss. Mm. They've met each other by then. And no indication of how they met. No, I have no, and I've tried to kind of look at, look for events that they might have attended together and I haven't found that yet. But I assume they would have just met, they were both going to Perth social events, so they were probably moving in the same circles. And we know after this, they went on to live together for maybe 40 to 50 years. So it's a pretty significant meeting. But we Mm. don't know what their relationship was at this time. We have, you know. And, yeah, it's fascinating really that, that to be reported in the paper. Yeah, well, oh, but now, maybe that was a way of making it all – I mean, it's all above board. I mean, it's perfectly mm. fine to go with a fem- – well, and it's also saying, oh, Mrs Hall is not alone, she's with someone else, yes. so it's all safe, there's nothing, you know. The community at large can rest, yeah, easy. Yeah, nothing going yeah. on. Nothing to well, see who here. who knows whether there was anything Ex- Well, there may not have been, and that's the other thing. This may be how they actually met, that mm. – um, that Chalkles needed People somewhere. People have to, flatmates. Yeah, Chalkles needed somewhere to stay, and they knew their parent. You know, they yep. knew each other, and it was all. So then, on the eleventh of April, nineteen thirty-three, which is about seven months later, the Daily News has this bit: Mrs. Hall, who with Miss Kasner Moss has been at Rollystone for nearly a year, intends coming to Guildford, where she will be joined by her husband, Captain Hall. So she's been living apart from her husband for quite a while, but they're giving it another go back together. Now. <laughs> And then in 1934, we had that article, which I won't read again, but do you remember the one where Miss Moss and Mrs Hall were in the car? That had yes. Car crash. And they had a dog. Dog ran to get help. Yeah. Very exciting. Very lassie. And they were at that time, by that time, they were running a um, kennel together. Yes. So they were breeding cocker spaniels. Yes. <laughs> Mrs Hall and Miss Moss. So business partners. Yep. Well... As you know, Pin, <laughs> you know, you know what happens to flatmates sometimes. Yes. Well, <laughs> yes, this is very true, Penny. Yes, I did mar- marry my housemate. Mm. Yeah, mm. there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> <laughs> Although plenty of people did tell me not to, <laughs> not not to not. <laughs> plenty of people when I when I mooted the idea of that I should of getting with my housemate said, no, no, you shouldn't do that. Shouldn't. I was very pro. You were pro. And I think that was the thing. People who had met Lincoln were quite pro. Yeah. Well, I'd been served a lot of coffee and biscuits by Lincoln. <laughs> it wasn't about me. It was clearly about you. But I was on board and I benefited from that. Yeah. <laughs> Let's keep Very good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Never met someone with so many varieties of coffee whilst living in a share house. <laughs> Yeah. It was all Jasper. <laughs> yeah, it was. We used to it always was. go to Jasper to get the beans. Yeah. <laughs> Times. Okay. Do you so, still drink Jasper coffee? No, we don't. Oh, no. can you two reignite that, please? <laughs> it would make me very happy. <laughs> and the kookaburra biscuits. Oh. Yeah. yeah I, I was disappointed when it was down to just the lemon. I really <laughs> liked the jam. <laughs> I used to get them all the time because they were a good value, actually, because yeah. they were quite a filling biscuit. Are they the biscuits that were made in Donald? They're very yellow. Very yellow, and then you can get them chocolate-covered as well in Donald. Oh, you town. never had the yeah. chocolate ones. Oh, yeah, they were probably more expensive. <laughs> so Chalkles is – there's another article on Chalkles from the Perth Daily News from the 21st of April, 1933. And it's about women doing unconventional jobs. Mm. And it's titled Out of the Ruck Jobs for Women – 
its second line is sex, a club of queer trades. Oh, dear. I don't think queer meant the same mm. thing then as it, uh, as it does now, but they were on the right track. <laughs> Tinker Taylor, soldier sailor. Oh. The young girls used to count their cherry stones to find out whom they would marry. But nowadays, there would be little difference if they counted their cherry stones in that way for their own walk in life. Bloody cherry stones. It is mostly the depression that has done it. Women and girls are venturing on all possible and hitherto impossible professions, trades and commercial walks of life. In Perth alone, there are women doctors, (gasps) dentists, lawyers... Accountants, journalists, editors, professional pilots, commercial artists, managers of big businesses, research workers, authors, estate oh, this agents, is outrageous. Mm, and dog and cat and rabbit breeders, <laughs> ah, yes. chauffeurs, and even gardeners. I don't think you have to do much to be a rabbit breeder. You just put two rabbits in a room. <laughs> Done. <laughs> A mother said to her daughter in that half-jocular, half-desperate tone known so well nowadays, I'll have to apprentice you to a trade. What will you be? And in all seriousness, the girl replied, an aeroplane mechanic. (laughs) What was she thinking? Hmm. This article lists a whole lot of women, lawyers, doctors, etc., and then it says, the breeding of rabbits for wool... And of pedigreed dogs is quite a common job for women. Miss C. Kasna Moss, a university graduate, graduate, is among the dog breeders. Yes. So good on her. She's being mentioned in this article of all these... Um, yeah, cocker spaniels. High-flying women doing their job. Like lawyers, dog breeders. <laughs> <laughs> it's really funny. They're on a par. <laughs> Pilots. Yeah. <laughs> Wish that had been offered it as a course at uni. I probably would have done that. <laughs> this makes you realise how limited it was. Yeah. The things that they were expected to do. <laughs> so, you know, at this point, they're business partners. They've, they've lived together at some point, but we don't know, if, you know, in what way. And Penhall was still married. She did move to Melbourne and then got divorced in 1937. Mm-hmm. And then we know that they lived together in Welshman's Reef for a while and then they lived in Newstead for many years. The thing that really interests me when I think about this is that we don't know how her family reacted to her unconventional life. It doesn't sound like there's much evidence of them once she reaches a certain point, is there? Yeah, that's right. And she doesn't, she stops going to the social events that she used Mm. to go to. She's, or if she goes, she's not mentioned in the paper. And at that time, homosexuality would have been regarded as a mental illness. Mm. That's interesting when you think about her dad's job at Claremont and mm. what, what he thought about it. And her sister Dorothy got married in 1938 and Chalkles wasn't mentioned as attending the wedding. Mm. And she didn't go to the kitchen tea either. Mm. But we don't know if she went to the box night. Yeah. If you banish from the kitchen tea, it's all over. Dad's, you know, he's just absolutely pestering me now again. He's, what did the bride wear? What did the bride wear? Dad, come on. Calm down. Oh, he's kicking me under the table. Come on, Penny. What did you wear? What did you wear? This wedding was in 1938. It was. 
Well, I wonder whether the fashions change from the early descriptions of what people wear. Mm. Crepe de chine. Crepe de chine. It's not crepe de chine. Um, oh. Does anyone want to guess what the what the wedding colour was? It's not white. She's mm. she's chosen a different colour. Blue. Okay, you're both wrong. I'll read it to you. Okay. The bride was given away by her father and wore a smartly tailored frock of brown, <gasps> French, rue. Oh, Christina, you speak French. Oh, God, I'm French. under pressure. Oh, Rebay? Rebay. I don't even know what that is. Rebay, touched with gold. Touched? Yeah. And I will just say, actually, there was another uh, adjective used to describe the shade of brown, which I'm not going to say because mm. it's racist. Oh. And they used to use it a lot to describe oh. that um, shade of brown. I found it in heaps of articles. The skirt was... Brown's cut. brown. Well, hmm. Exa- well, I... <laughs> exactly. There are other things that you could use. Yes, as a reference point. Chocolate, um, that sort of thing. The skirt was cut on pencil lines and the long sleeves were slightly high on the shoulders. The cutaway bodice ooh, showed a suggestion of gold satin in front and the high neck was lacquered at the back. Lacquered? With gold thread and finished in front with a gold satin bow. Her something brown velour hat had a large wide front brim and was upturned halo-wise and edged mm. with lacquered gold and across the front was a gold lacquered feather. Ew. A neck posy motif of brown and gold flowers. What shade of brown were they? We can't imagine this. We can't. And carrying a sheaf of berries, all in tonings of rich red browns, shading to palest gold, completed her attractive bridal toilette. That just sounds hideous. (laughs) The bride wore brown and I don't know. what what sets the tone for her married life. (laughs) (laughs) Suggests that this must have been a very expensive wedding dress. Yeah, I think so. That is a very long description of the of yeah. a wedding dress. They're not usually that long. Um, and and that somebody from the paper, from the social pages, was there with the description. Yeah, that, yeah you don't get that for every wedding. What's Her with dad the was brown important. flowers as well? That's something that we have discussed. We've discussed the brown episode. dahlias, yeah, chocolate lilies. Yeah, it must have been a yeah. real trend at the time. Yeah, I've never seen them. I don't know, but I've got a photo. Oh, good. She looks quite good. I think he looks good. Oh, she does look good. It's a pity it's in black and white. I can't see what brown it is. <laughs> no. He looks a bit surprised, probably because she's in brown. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've got a joke I can't say because my dad's here. <laughs> now, um, so it, it is possible that Chalkles was there and just wasn't mentioned in the paper or that she yeah. didn't feel comfortable going but she had a nice event with her sister at some other time. Like we just mm. like we just don't know. Matthew Kasnamos died in 1945 and his death notice in the West Australian 25th of June 1945 says, Moss on June 28, 1945 at St John's of God Hospital, Subiaco, M. Kasnamos of Hay Street West, much-loved husband of Nellie and loved father of Chalkles and Dorothy. No flowers by request. Mm. So I kind of hope that the f- the fact that she was named in that notice means they, that... They had that she was dealings with each other yeah. as a family. Yeah. And don't forget that were they all in, in Western Australia then or not? 
Um, yeah, Chalkles may have been living in Melbourne as well. Yeah. I think in ni- yeah, whether she was there in 1938, I'm not really mm. sure when she moved over to Melbourne. So, yeah, that's a good point too. It's a long way to swim. Yeah. Mm, exactly. <laughs> her, there was one notice from 1949 of her sister coming to visit her in Ballarat. Okay. 1949? Yeah. Well, that certainly suggests they kept in contact. Yeah. Did she ever have family come to visit her dad? Because Penn Hall was an only child, but Dorothy got married and was Dorothy Carey Reed and she had kids. So Chalkles would have had nephews and nieces and things. Did they ever come to visit? Uh, I can't remember them visiting when I was there, but I do know she might have had a, a, a nephew or a niece or a cousin. I knew she had some relatives. And that might have been Dorothy's children. Mm. I don't know. Mm. Did, did you find out whether Dorothy had any children? Yeah, yeah, she did, yeah. I would say that that's what yeah. I re- remember. So, yeah, it'd be really interesting to um, to know if, if what that kind of relationship was. Mm. It was just so nice to think that they did keep talking oh, to each other. so. Yeah. Particularly when you go from um, those stories that her dad wrote for her where he really seemed to be celebrating her being a bit of a, mm. a quirky, odd, strong-willed child. Yeah. How were those stories kept again, Ben? Uh, Who kept them and why did they get to the National I Museum? I don't know why. Um, I can see why. At first I thought, oh, the National Library's just kept it because he was a prominent doctor or, or you know, they might have kept all these papers. But it, this is the only thing they've got of his and I think they've kept it because it's an amazing example of writing for children yeah. from that time. And uh, probably if you, if you studied... Um, the history of children's literature, you, you would probably go, oh, that's influenced by this. Yes. But, yeah, they're, like, really good. I mean, he there's a few things that I think he needed an editor, but for, like, a first Minor details. That he wrote by himself. And, and like, really, writing not for publication. Too. Not for publication. And also, that like, it feels really original and derivative. Yeah. And not derivative to me, like. Having a merry-go-round on your roof where you put your oh yeah for a rhino to meals. It's you know I haven't I haven't I'm not aware of yet. no having heard that before. It's a bit treehousey, isn't it? Yeah, because oh, well Andy Griffiths is very influenced by that pe- that Strumpeter book. Yes, oh st- was it Strumpeter? Yeah. Strumpeter, yeah. He he read that. Am I calling it Strudel and just hoping that's what? <laughs> I don't remember, but I've got a really strong picture of. The front cover the in my yeah, like oh, so scary. Yeah, mum used to read it to me all the time. <laughs> Very disturbing choice. Yeah, there is a whole other chapter to Chalkle's life which we haven't got to that I think I would like to talk about, but I think we need to make that a, a separate episode. Right. Um, so, if Dad, if you would be able to come back another day, that would be really good. He's had enough. He's <laughs> frankly had enough, Penny. I think you've you two. Uh, Quite patient to have me here, and uh, and uh, we'll put it into the let's see, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Thanks so much, Dad. Oh, and I'll just say at the end that if you do like, if you listen to the podcast and you like it, it would be really helpful if you could rate and review. So helpful, come on, because it helps other people find it, and that helps me want to keep making it. And to be fair, I do not need much encouragement. No, she she, she to, really doesn't. To get into <laughs> Trove, like just not not much at all, but a little bit, you know, it always helps. This is not a paid political announcement that you're allowed <laughs> to rate Christina and Penny 
please don't rate me. (laughs) (laughs) It might drag us right up, though. (laughs) Good job there's an edit button.